0: Welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. I'm Craig Marshall, and I want to remind you about the Summer Institute that's coming up this June in San Diego. In addition to some great speakers, it's a chance to meet and interact with the IBCD family and others who are interested in one another care. People who come to the conference always walk away saying they were encouraged, they're ready to get back at it, and they feel better equipped to help others with their struggles. We'd love to see you there, and I'd love to meet you and get a chance to talk with you. This year's pre-conference is for both men and women, and it features Chris Moles on his book, The Heart of Domestic Abuse, which is a key topic that our churches are facing. The main conference is on addiction, and we're going to explore both the physical and spiritual components of it and how we can navigate them carefully as Christians. Our keynote speakers are Mark Shaw, Ed Welch, Charles Hodges, and Jim Newheiser, and there's a great lineup of workshops. To learn more, just go to ibcd.org events, and all the information about registration is there. With me today is Dr. Jim Neuheiser, who's IBCD's Executive Director and the Associate Professor of Christian Counseling at RTS Charlotte. And we also have with us today, Tom Maxim, who's a pastor at Grace Bible Church in Escondido, and one of the counselors and advisory board members at IBCD. So Jim and Tom, so thankful to have you guys with us today. And we're going to be tackling a difficult topic, thinking through some issues regarding separation. And what what comes to my mind, just as we were thinking through this and hearing some questions from listeners and uh, emails that we'd received, is that a lot of times with pastors, counselors, friends, um, when we enter into a marriage struggle, it's already pretty far down the line. And sometimes we find out that someone's struggling and they're already considering divorce or on their way. Um, towards divorce and separations even being thrown out as an option. And so I kind of just wanted to start broadly speaking. um, When you hear that a spouse wants to separate from his or her spouse, what are some of the categories, what's some of the framework that when you immediately hear that, some things that you immediately go to, then we can kind of parse out some of those categories?
1: Well, if a couple, either one of them want to be separated then it's obviously a breakdown of their fulfillment of God's design for marriage, because from the beginning, the Lord said, the two shall be one flesh. Jesus said, what God has joined, let no man separate. And marriage is supposed to be this close relationship where you're spending as much time together as possible and sharing life together. So you're looking at why. Why would someone want to do this? Oftentimes, there are unbiblical reasons, just this is hard and I want to escape. And in some of those cases, you think of I think of Hebrews 12, where Jesus endured even the cross. And sometimes God calls us to endure in hard situations. Hebrews 11 has a lot of people who endured in hard situations. And for some people, marriage is hard. But the issue isn't how do I feel. The issue is from the Word of God, what would God have me to do here? And in a culture where people aren't accustomed to suffering or enduring something they don't really like. That's hard. Even Christians, when push comes to shove, sometimes are conformed to the world. So if, for example, a couple is already separated, I would try to help them both to deal with the root issues. And for example, the one who didn't want the separation, rather than demanding they get back together, what has caused this? Uh, also, in your question, uh, there could be valid reasons, mainly having to do with the safety of one spouse, both spouses, or children. There could even be legal reasons if a child has been abused and one parent is allowed is not allowed to be in the presence of that child. And then there's also just is it a just a separation? small S separation where one person leaves or they agree to be in separate domiciles for a while? Or is it a capital S separation where you have filed papers, which is very similar to a divorce in terms of responsibilities on both sides?
0: So it sounds like right away, I mean, I think a temptation can be, you hear separation or divorce thrown out. Sometimes you're finding out about a problem for the first time and you get distracted almost by that word when what first you're saying to do is find out why, what's going on, why would they even be thinking about this level of um, intensity of what's going on?
1: And in most of these cases, among professing Christians it's I've, that I've seen, it's been the wife who has had it. And sometimes it's just she's tired of putting up with a guy who's grumpy and unappreciative, something like that. You want him to try to understand how he has tempted her in that way. And then you're trying to get her to get her focus off of herself onto what the Lord would have her to do. Um, I appreciate what Jay Adams said many years ago, that in general separation is a bad thing because sometimes when people stop living together, the pain diminishes compared to what it was before when they were having sinful conflict. Sometimes people say, well, we're separating so we can get back together, but often they grow independent of each other. So ideally, I think they do want to work out their problems together instead of separately. However, if there are issues of safety involved, I think we have to make sure that people are kept safe, and there's lots in the Psalms and elsewhere about protecting the innocent, protecting those who are uh, being oppressed. And then if one party is just absolutely determined to pull apart, or be separated for a time, and yet they're still willing to work on the marriage, I would typically try to work on the issues behind the separation rather than immediately pressing them to get back together without dealing with the sin that led to the separation.
0: So it sounds like there are some, some reasons that you can say, could be valid for a separation to occur, or um, ways that that could be used in the counseling process. What are some of those reasons?
2: I think in the case of adultery, um, separation is is indicated for a for a period of time. Uh, ideally, you'll get the couple into counseling with the church. Ideally, it'll be with the pastor, um, and you want to help them walk out this biblical middle through this this post adultery time. And um the the two sinful extremes that typically the the one who has not committed adultery will will run to is one extreme they'll run to to be too quick to go to divorce. And really it's they're handling the situation in their own strength and they're not waiting on God. Basically they're saying, I won't live with this person. The other extreme that they can go to is they're too quick to reconcile. And they're going to put this marriage back together in their own strength in that way. And they're not waiting on God. And they get to this uh, adulterous place of, um, I can't live without this person. And uh, it really requires um, uh, waiting on God. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word I do hope. So, I think that uh, one, one of the first things that has to happen after counseling is the couple does need to separate. Um, some couples can manage this by getting into different rooms within the same house, and that, that would be an ideal situation. But other couples, there'll be too much quarreling, for example, and they do need to be in separate houses. Typically, someone can move in with uh, a family member or uh, a church member's home. The other thing that you're facing is um, the uh, possibility of HIV or um, STDs and so you don't want to put the person at risk um, to um, fall into um, um, fall into uh, a sexual um, event and then and then be exposed to these things. And just a comment it's it's often um, a counselor or pastor will forget that topic and get into sort of marriage counseling. And um, they really need to uh, handle that medical end of this. And another note on that is um, HIV tests initially can come back as a false negative or truly really a positive, but it, but it comes back as a false negative. And it requires testing six months later to see if it's, it's really a, a negative test result. So in this middle, you're walking these people through, you're looking for repentance, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. Uh, Is the sorrow godly sorrow or worldly sorrow? Um, Often I'll have someone keep a journal to try to um, uh, document what looks like godly sorrow, what looks like worldly sorrow, because it's such a a monumental decision in their life that it's worthy of being put down on paper. And in this time, you're trying to identify all sins. Lying would be always present in in these cases. And you're also trying to help the person um, who's... um, you know, so distraught over the um, adultery that they want to swing to um, divorce or they want to swing to all reconcile no matter what, to um, to preach Christ to them, for them to receive the love of Christ and to know whatever happens, they're going to be okay because of Christ. Christ will never treat them like this. Christ will, will never forsake them. So eventually you get to a point where... Um, um, there's repentance, and so there's going to be reconciliation or there's non repentance and so you're you're they're actually going to need to slowly move to divorce um, sometimes when there's repentance, the person is still worried about um, the risk of entering back into the relationship but if there is signs of repentance the the uh, people ministering to you, the pastor uh, uh, believes that there's every evidence of the fruit of repentance then the, there will be a risk, but that's the part you got to trust God with, is that little bit of risk. So from there, you can, if there is repentance, you can enter into marriage counseling. Um, you, can, you might have to go over marriage basics, almost like premarital counseling for them, um, deal with uh, what were the issues leading up to the adultery, figure out have the problems in the marriage been a 50-50 kind of problem, or is it a very lopsided situation where one is uh, much more fault at the other. And then finally, just um, really explain the, the concept that uh, the adultery came out of the heart of the adulterer, but the other person could have provoked them to that type of thing. So each person may need to um, go to the Lord in repentance and faith.
0: So so in cases with adultery, this, this time of not thinking of it so much of marriage counseling, uh, but thinking of a period apart— in some way, to be able to be working through, monitoring, gender, and repentance, it sounds like that's one of the things they are saying. Jim, did you have something? I had that, a couple or?
1: passages maybe to toss in to support what Tom was saying, and what Tom is saying is out of many, many hours of compassionately caring for people and walking through them, walking with them through this, which is agonizing. Uh, but in terms of you know, when the other party, the guilty party, And Tom was saying, You're waiting for them to see if they're repentant. There is a sense in which, in your heart, you can be forgiving towards someone without actually the transaction taking place. In Luke 17, 3, Jesus says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And so there's a conditionality to that kind of forgiveness. Even with God, we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And so if the party who is guilty is not repentant, that would be a strong reason to separate until they are repentant. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, he mentioned as well, we have a worksheet, I think, on the website of characteristics of true and false repentance. Is this self-centered or or God-centered and other-centered? Do they demand to be trusted or they don't trust themselves? And I think I've gone through that with a couple, and it's been very insightful in terms of being able to identify the nature of the repentance. Another thing... I think it's very important for us as counselors is that the innocent party has freedom to make choices within a fairly broad range of options. We have to distinguish between the advice we give and the commands we give. So I can't command the innocent party to move out or have the other person move out. If they choose to stay in the same home, that's a choice they're free to make. I think it's very important to distinguish between this is my opinion, I think this would be wise for you, get tested, stay away sexually for a period of time. And like Tom, I've sometimes been frustrated where the innocent party fully enters into the marriage again without, ever, without repentance taking place, even the guilty party admitted he wasn't repentant. My advice would have been don't come together again sexually until you're convinced he's repentant. And some people do, like separate rooms, same house, some people separate domiciles. Uh, but, But it's still in the realm of advice. I can't say that she sinned by resuming, continuing the marriage, by treating him as forgiven, even though he hadn't fully repented, or even coming together sexually. My advice would be, if you were my sister or my daughter, I would have a period of time to see if this person is truly repentant, where there's some aspect of separation taking place until you're convinced. It's kind of this limbo state where you're trying to decide whether you're exercising the right that Jesus gives you for divorce in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19. But in the separation is also, just to explain, I think it's important to explain the nature of this, is if the wife, for example, is separating from the husband, she's she's basically saying that in light of what you've done, I'm considering the possibility of exercising my right to divorce if there's not repentance and restoration. And I don't have, I'm not going to continue to fulfill the duties of a wife to you, not just sexually, but in general during this time. And that's an awkward position to be in, but that's the same thing with abuse is that you can't, the husband who's been put out of the house for abusing his wife or the kid's He's not able to lead his family, and he's, he's lost the privileges, hopefully temporarily until there's repentance and restoration. So it has some of the characteristics, like a divorce, where now you, know, you don't have the rights of a spouse ordinarily. But the nature of it is there's hope. I trust on both sides to bring them back together.
0: So some of what we've been talking about is separation in terms of when when biblical grounds are available, meaning adultery has taken place and we need to wait and see how this is going to go. And so putting some time in there to, to monitor repentance, to um, do some wise things like getting tested. Um, what do we do when biblical grounds aren't really on the table and someone's just fed up and... Um, maybe Jim, like you said, it's, it's a wife who's, who's just had it. And I I feel like a lot of times when these words are being thrown around, it's often because the person doesn't see that there is a way forward apart from an extreme measure. So how do we walk through a situation where one spouse is saying, I need to be apart from this person. And the other is saying, I don't think this needs to happen. I want to keep working at this.
1: We've had way more experience with this than I would ever like to have and as i said it's usually the wife though sometimes it's the husband who who from their standpoint there's been a chronic problem it could be of being angry domineering different sins and i think you want to focus on with the party who is guilty often the guilty party in term guilty party in terms of really failing to fulfill the responsibilities in the marriage. They will want to harp on the fact this was an unbiblical separation, and they want you and the church to come down on the person who left or kicked you out. And I would plead with that person to focus on what sin have I committed that would drive my wife or husband to leave, especially in the light of the Christian community. Somebody has to be really pretty fed up. To get to that point when they're a professing Christian, they've been in a marriage for a long time. It's happening more than I'd like it to happen, but the focus should be getting the log out of your own eye if it's your spouse who's left, rather than trying to bring the hammer down with the law saying, you didn't have biblical grounds to leave. And so yeah, they want, instead of being repentant over their repugnant sinful behavior, their fleshly behavior that tempted the other spouse, uh, they're full of self righteous anger because they're still in the house the the person has left, and that person needs to be broken. And again, Even if your spouse didn't have the right, technically, to leave, repent of your own sin and try to win them back. Even Galatians 6, try to restore them to the marriage gently as you walk in the Spirit, instead of just condemning them for not meeting your expectations. One of the most curious passages, and I've been recently writing about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And when Paul says in First Corinthians 7, to the married I give instructions in the of the Lord that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. This passage to me has always struck me is a challenging one because he's saying don't leave but then he says but if you do you either be reconciled or you stay single or you you stay uh, unmarried normally a biblical divorce implicitly carries with it the right to remarry but paul is giving a situation of someone i would assume is a professing believer in the church who has left their spouse But it's curious to me that rather than bringing the hammer down on that person and saying, well, excommunicate him, we talked about that in chapter 5, here's a case, he doesn't treat it that way. He's saying, you shouldn't have done it. And as far as I can tell, if you don't have full biblical grounds, and so your right to remarry is not there, but he's not absolutely forcing them back. And in some of these situations I've seen with both men and women, husbands and wives, where it is like the dripping, quarrelsome wife in Proverbs 5, or husband, the angry husband, the selfish husband. And even though I couldn't say, yeah, go ahead and leave or kick him out. uh, I mean, I've had cases where the husband's trying to sleep at two in the morning and his wife's standing over his bed shouting at him and all the things she doesn't like about him. And he wants to go sleep somewhere else. And I'm reluctant to give people license just to do that but it, it seems like Paul has some scenario where a separation is taking place that doesn't give the full rights like a divorced person to remarry either be reconciled or stay apart uh, I think the church could even say we don't agree with this but it may fall short of declaring someone to be an unbeliever and being cast out of the church
0: so we're talking about you know when the person's spouse has separated and you're dealing with that person uh, who's, you're saying the guilty party because he's provoked that spouse to the point of that. Um, Just following along that line a little bit more. So part of what we're wanting to tell that person is use this as an opportunity to look at the log in your own eye and don't just point fingers at the unbiblical nature of the separation potentially. But then... So ideally, then the person responds to that and is saying, okay, here's my sin. I'm seeking to confess it. Usually that doesn't change overnight. Like it's it's a process of rebuilding trust. What happens when the other spouse, the one who's separated, is very hardened? And then when do you start to find a line of, do you need to start protecting yourself a little bit? Are there ramifications where that spouse may just be wholeheartedly pursuing divorce, but kind of stringing you along? How do you help them wisely balance seeking to do everything they can to win back that spouse, but then also not running f- foolishly into that, that they're you know losing all their house and money and everything in the whole process?
1: Many of the situations I've been in, the spouse who provoked the other that led to the separation, doesn't fully understand how deeply he or she has hurt the other person and the repentance is falling short. And a lot of times that person can string together some words. I even find that sometimes they're tempted to take the words I use in counseling as a script and they try to go back and say the right thing in terms of giving a lovely seven A's of confession apology. And I think that person needs to understand why your wife is skeptical because she's been putting up with this for twenty years and you've said a lot of good things. And so I would encourage that person to be patient trying to win her back and praying that her heart will be softened, but also praying that you will be genuinely repentant. Uh, I find genuine repentance to be quite rare actually in the sense that they'll say some of the right things and then they'll start condemning the other spouse and focusing on their log. so, I would put a lot of focus on the so well, the one who drove the other one out, in a sense. And it's rare that I've seen somebody who was doing all that great. Mm-hmm. I understand though that if your spouse is unbiblically separating from you, 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 you've got to have some way of agreeing about finances, other responsibilities, kids, issues. Ideally, you work it out between the two of you, but if you were good at that, you probably wouldn't be separated. Then, like 1 Corinthians 6, rather than going to the courts, it would be good if you had people in your church who could help you agree to what's fair in terms of income, assets, and responsibility, and some of the issues that could become legal. And then going to court would be kind of a last resort. I've seen situations in which the... uh, two people who are separated are able to work fairly well together in terms of taking care of the kids and the finances. And I understand the risk that the so-called innocent party, well, the, sorry, the the person who got kicked out in trying to win the other person back could put themselves at a terrible financial disadvantage. There's always a danger in these situations. Somebody's going to clean out the bank account or act in a sinful way. But then I think biblically, you... You try to get help from the church community first to come up with a a just way to manage things during what we hope is a a temporary separation. And then if someone is acting sinfully and unreasonably, then there might be discipline over that. If somebody cleans out the bank accounts and is really harsh and unreasonable and won't listen to church leadership, that could lead to discipline where then you go to the courts because they won't listen to the church and they're considered outsiders.
0: What do we say to the person who's so fed up that they are insisting upon separation? So uh, most of the focus that we've been talking about is for the person who um, has been deemed as more failing in the marriage, and the separation is to awaken their attention. But what about to the person who's so fed up that they're leaving? To me, it would be going back to the gospel
1: with that person. That how patient has God been with you? How gracious has God been with you? You know, we have sinned countless number of times. Back to Matthew 18 and the unmerciful servant. and you know, The passage about forgiveness beginning in verse 21 is, do you really have a concept of how gracious God has been to you? And when he says, let all bitterness and anger, clamor, slander be put away, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God has forgiven you. The Lord Jesus Christ who died for you is asking you to have a tender heart towards this person who has wronged you and to show them the same grace that you've been shown. Now, if your life is physically in danger, I acknowledge your freedom to keep yourself and your children safe. But the only way to overcome bitterness, like Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, is not the other person is never going to be able to do enough penance or even change enough. To merit them coming back, to earn their way back. And like Tom said, you can't be absolutely sure if they even say the right things that they won't go back to it. It's a matter of you take a risk and trust God to honor that. But it's, it's ultimately the question, what would God have me to do? Jesus, who taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you know, the, the scripture conveys that our willingness to forgive others is grounded in the forgiveness we've received, and it is a very extensive demand. It's not like the world. It's not, the world would say, well, only go back if you're." it'll make you happy. Jesus says, what God has joined, let no man separate. God has united you in this covenant, and when you made your vows for better or for worse, this is a worse time, and God wants you to endure not with the strength the other person gives you by how well they treat you, but drawing upon the power that God gives you in the gospel. And Tim Keller, in his book, on The Meaning of Marriage, also references the fact that when people who were separating, if they stick it out, a huge percentage, a couple years later, are still together and doing better. And so pleading with both parties to endure for Christ's sake, to delay making it permanent for Christ's sake, because it would very much please God for you to fulfill this covenant for the rest of your life. I'm not claiming it's easy. I understand that if you were starting all over, you wouldn't make this decision again, but you're not starting all over. You've made that commitment. And you know Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and that's he can be joyful in prison. Well, If God has called you to suffer a bit in marriage, if that's the calling from God, then you fulfill it as Christ fulfilled so much more for
2: you. And I would say the same thing um, this way, that in our own strength, we're not going to be able to do that. We're not going to want to do that. We won't have the ability. Um, um, But if we want to to be able to do it and we want to glorify God, that the only way that's going to happen is by the power of God that's in the gospel um, I think of passages like in Matthew 18 where we've been forgiven an unpayable debt and um, often I help people to think about yeah this sin is big against you this sin is very hurtful and it's all you can see But we're gonna have to bring in your sin against God an infinite sin and get these into perspective that your, your sin is infinitely greater against God this sin is not insignificant is very hurtful but there is the power of the God. The, there is the power of God in this um, to help you if we begin to bring in the gospel and not do it in our own strength, but with with Christ's strength and the, and uh, uh, who Christ is and what He's done for you, being applied to this this specific um, difficult situation that they're in.
1: And I've seen this happen. I've seen people who seem to be hard-hearted and. You get them to think about what Christ has done for them. You get them to pray Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 that we could grasp the dimensions of Christ's love for us and being strengthened into the inner man and read aloud the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I've seen hearts transformed and marriages saved and restored through the power of the gospel. It's not a pragmatic, this is good for me, but it's trusting God and not leaning on your own understanding. And then being amazed that it's not going to—you know, God is so kind that it probably will not turn out to be as difficult as you thought, and the Lord could see fit to bring real sweetness into the marriage. He has done so, and He can do that again.
0: One of the most heart-wrenching things in situations like this is when Couples are coming and their their separation on the table are currently in place, and they're not really involved in the context of the local church. Can you just give for our listeners uh, a vision for how the local church is to work together in situations of separation, how necessary the church functioning is for the Lord to heal these marriages?
1: I think, well, first I would say that in the worst cases where marriages are failing. One of the characteristics that accompanies that is a lack of commitment to a local church, often kind of a nominal attendance, but not being really engaged in the life of the body. Being in a local church will do many good things for you in terms of your marriage struggles. One is you're going to hear the gospel preached every Sunday, and you're going to sing about what God has done for you, which should move in your heart to reflect that grace to others. The more you're in love with Christ, you know, we love because he first loved us. And the more you know of his love for us, the more that should help you to become a person of grace, to be a restorer and a healer, not a judge towards your spouse. And then in addition to the public means of grace, you have the relationships where you have people who love you and are close to you and your spouse, and they're going to admonish you as Romans 15, 14 says that all of us are to be doing for each other. They're going to encourage you. They're going to build you up. They're going to set examples for you. And I think in the context of the church, when you're struggling, it's great to have the relationships that often take place in small groups, home groups, where you can share these struggles with others who can pray for you and encourage you. And rather than church being a place where you're virtually anonymous, just pretending like you have it all together, that you build these close relationships so that when trouble comes, you have godly gifted people who can come alongside and help you, not just pastors who can counsel you, but even surrounded by a community of people who are in love with Christ and, and committed to helping one another through the struggles that various
0: ones of us face at times. Jim and Tom Thanks for helping us Think through a very Difficult topic I know that just One episode Doesn't do justice To the complexity Of these things But some of these Categories will be Helpful as we seek To enter in and engage Uh, more information about relevant audios and resources can be found at our website at www.ibcd.org or in the show notes. We want to thank you for listening. And we continue to value your questions and, and feedback as you email us, which you can do on our podcast page. And we look forward to being with you again soon.